I tell you what, would you open your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter... I'm going to give you three scriptures just so you can look really spiritual. Because you're like, oh, I'm already there. I didn't know where that is. Acts chapter 2, James chapter 5, and 1 Kings 17. So that is Acts 2, James 5, 1 Kings 17. And while you're going there, we're actually going to probably, we're going to start in Acts 2 and then go to James. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They were devoted. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and prayer. We've been talking these past few weeks about what it means to be in this together. And if you've noticed, we have followed this. The apostles' teaching, first week, was the truth. It's the word of God. And we went to uh, fellowship and what that looks like. And breaking of bread was last week and this week. And probably for the next week, maybe two weeks, I don't know. We're going to talk about what it means to be devoted to prayer. And just one page over in verse 14 of chapter 1, that early church, and they had just seen Jesus arise and ascend into heaven. And, and the first thing they did was they joined together constantly in prayer. Now, if you go now to James 5, I want to show you what I think that looked like for the early church because it helps us to know what it could look like for us. And I think it looks a little different than what most of us are used to. And I think that there might be a little bit of a playbook that God might be giving us for what it could look like into our future. James chapter 5, we're going to go 13 through 18. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up, and if they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elijah, verse 17, was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it wouldn't rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. And again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced crops. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we approach your word today with uh, expectation of what amazing stuff you want to do in our hearts, with an open heart and uh, open mind for your word to be in us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, laying uh, in bed this week in Guatemala, I was laying awake, my mind was racing, and I was reminded of being a 16-year-old, your age, Lauren, I was your age, when I went to... uh, Guatemala for the first time. And I got to go with a guy named Ron Luce. I don't know if you know who Ron Luce is. He started a thing called Teen Mania and Acquire the Fire Youth Conferences. But back then in 1987, he would have been like a 23 or 24-year-old kid that my mother said, hey, I'll send you to Guatemala with some man I've never met before who's 23 years old. That sounds like a great idea. If you want proof that when I say that my mother free-ranged us. (laughs) So we go to Guatemala, and we're doing skits and all the stuff that mission trips did back then. And I was was young and was surrounded by other young people. And one evening, we had gone out in a, uh, taken the city transportation, the city bus. And I honestly, I've tried to think about this. I couldn't remember how we got to where we were. But what I remember was where we were was where we weren't supposed to be. Imagine that, right? Teenagers. And... 
and it was getting late and the city buses were about to stop running and we didn't know how to get back to the hotel. Uh, in a sketchy part of a sketchy town, we were lost. They didn't speak nearly enough English to get me out of or Spanish to get me out of this. And so what I remembered we did was we prayed. Uh, it was, I don't remember how many, but it was, a, it was a circle so big, so it probably would have been at six or seven of us. And we gathered, and we, I remember we grabbed hands, and we prayed, God, we don't know what to do. Can you help us? And whatever you pray in a situation like that. And what we decided was uh, it was getting dark. It was already dark, and the, the last bus of the day was going to be running soon, and we didn't know which one. So we were just going to, whatever the next bus was, we're just going to take that bus because it's got to lead us somewhere better than here. So we get onto the next bus, and in the front seat on the passenger side was a guy sitting there, very straight and astute, wearing the hotel uniform of the hotel we were staying at. This is a true story. I've fallen back on this story many times in my faith of like, okay, but I remember that. And it gets better. Because we had to make a bus change, by the way. So not only were we on a bus, we had to literally make a change at a different bus station to get on the bus that would take to the hotel. It was the last bus of the night. He showed us the next bus. We got back. We get to the hotel. We're like so excited. We're like teenagers. Well, God rocks. You know. We never saw him again. This hotel was not that big. It was just a small hotel. Maybe a couple people at the desk on the front and a couple people at night. I don't know who he was. I don't know what he was. But we never saw him again. It wasn't the first time that it happened to me. I got lost as a little kid. And it's, you know, in Nebraska, when you get lost, it's, you know, again, my mother free range. She'll probably find his way back. But on this particular day, I was wandering out. My brother had uh, pointed, hey, just follow this back to town and you'll get this way. Because, you know, and he, to this day, he will deny it, but he pointed the wrong way. <laughs> so I'm going the wrong way. I'm going away from town. I'm in third grade. How many, anybody in third grade in here this morning? Most of you guys are with back in the back. That's not very old. And I found, I get to the railroad, I said, there's railroad tracks because it's like stand by me. Every town in America has railroad tracks. And I know that railroad tracks lead back to town, assuming you go the right way on the railroad tracks. Yeah, so that was a flaw in my plan. But I'm walking, I end up going across a river bridge. And I'm, by this time, I'm praying, I'm eight, whatever, how old are we in third grade? Nine, eight, nine years old. I'm negotiating with God at this point. I swear, this is true. I'm praying, God, if you get me out of this, I'll serve you the rest of my life. You know. And <laughs> no one's ever done that, have you? I get across this little river bridge. Again, stand by me. I swear it was exactly like that. And I see a little house in the distance, and I, I'm like, uh, and it's like in Nebraska, everything's so flat, it always looks closer than it is. It was very far. But I'm sprinting through this pasture, and I'm crying, and, God, oh, yeah. and, and I knock on a door. There's actually two little houses in the country side by side, and they're about an acre apart. The first door, I'm pounding on it, nobody answers. And I go to the next house over, and this uh, little lady, um, kind of an older lady, answers the door, and she was, could not have been more surprised to see a nine-year-old boy covered in mud and, th you know, th the stickers. We call them stickers. What are they? Stickers? Is that what they're called? Yeah. Stickers. Um, all up and down my legs. And, and she says, uh, oh, sweetheart, you know, are you, are you in trouble? <laughs> yes, ma'am. Um, <laughs> She says, uh, oh, it's, you're so lucky. I was just about to leave. If you'd have come five minutes later, I wouldn't have been here. I'm going into town to get my hair done. 
Do people still get their hair done? Yeah, she's getting her hair done. At the Guys and Dolls Salon, which is across the alley from my house on East 2nd Street in Superior, Nebraska. She's a little lady. I hope to someday meet her in heaven and say, remember that little kid that you probably wondered all your life? You told that story to your grandkids? That was me. <laughs> my point is, is that on those days that I prayed and something happened. And James said, if you're in trouble, pray. When the disciples came to Jesus, they said, teach us to pray in Luke chapter 11. Now, I've always taken that to mean teach us how to pray. But he says, teach us to pray. And I think what he means instead was, Hey, if you're in trouble, teach us that that's the first thing we should do, not the last. Teach us to pray. Because it, the older we get, the more times maybe we prayed something in the right, it didn't happen, it didn't pan out the way I wanted it to. So the more skeptical, the more cynical, the more faithless I become, and so I stop asking. If you want to see somebody who's got a gift of faith, Holly plots. The other day, she knocks on the door to drop off some cake that I can't eat, but she is... We can't find Maddie's car keys. And her first question, did you pray? Because what she knows innately and what we all need to know is that's the first thing to do, not the last thing to do. Teach us to pray, he said. And when I read this, and we're going to talk about this today and maybe in the coming weeks, I, I, was, I guess I was strict, struck with the idea this week that, man, it used to be the first thing on my mind to do to pray when I was young. So why not? today. Sure, I'm 47, and I've prayed for things that didn't happen, and maybe that's why, but maybe that's also why God says by the book of, in the book of Romans that by his spirit, by Jesus, we cry, Abba, Father, because you know, <laughs> if you've got a two-year-old, they'll ask over and over and over and over and over and over and over again, even if the answer was no. Think about your little ones. I mean, I don't know, Amber, how many times has Micah asked for something in a day, right? Hundreds, right? And he maybe gets one or two of them, right? <laughs> but it doesn't stop him from asking. And in this vignette here in James 5, just in verse 16 on the last half, and we'll get back to the first half, I hate it to take, when you see someone take a text out of context, you're left with a con, okay? Always remember that. So we are going to come back to the previous verses. But this little passage right here, and I'm going to read it to you from the King James Version, because the NIV, the nearly inspired version that I usually use, waters this down just enough. It's like if you like your Bible with a glass of milk uh, in the milk, this is, but we're going to take it out of the milk. We're going for the meat. He says in the King James Version, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, for me, and we're going to look at those three thoughts, what it means to be effective and fervent, what it means to be righteous, and what it means to pray earnestly. And starting with the righteous part, that part hung me up for most of my life. Because if you define righteous based on what you do instead of what you believe, you're already 50 yards back in a 100-yard dash. But the New Testament idea of righteousness is not about how you behave. It is about what you believe. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, he tells us that uh, in Christ, we are new creations. Verse 17, it says we're new creations. And it goes in to say that you are made righteous by him. That he who knew no sin became sin. That you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So if you believe that he is who he said he was... You're already righteous. You're already in the door. 
And what you believe is what makes you righteous. It moves you into that position. So for all of us today, we can stand before him as a righteous person. And I think that's why his example is Elijah. He goes right into that, the next verse. Because look at Elijah. He's just a guy like me and you. Elijah was a guy that had high highs and low lows. One day he is kicking butt and taking names. And the next day he's in a cave, depressed and afraid and alone. He's just like us. But he prayed. There's a lot of confidence that that gives us. That a guy like Elijah could do what he did. Not because he was so awesome, but because he was so loved. He prayed earnestly, it says in verse 17. And that word, we don't have time for this, but just know that the word prayed earnestly in the original Greek, I am not a Greek scholar, I am not a Greek expert. Newsflash. But I rely on Greek experts. And those words, prayed earnestly, in the Greek are actually two different words for prayer. The literal translation would be prayed, prayed. If you look at those words anywhere else when they're translated in Scripture, which is dozens of times, both of them are translated as prayed, prayed, prayed. And the second one, the earnestly, is actually more about a position, a place of prayer than the act of prayer itself. The idea being that it's like a position of submission, of I am submitting to God's word on this. It is the prayer of Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane, if it be your will. If there's any other way that this could pass, but if it is not, then I will do this. It's that kind of a prayer. That is the prayer that is earnest as submission to his word. And if you go back and look at Elijah in 1 Kings 17, Elijah prayed that way. In fact, we actually don't know from 1 Kings that he prayed. We only know it because of James and his commentary that Elijah prayed before he walked into King Ahab and said, it's not going to rain for three and a half years. What would have given him the boldness to do that? Maybe... It was because in the book of Deuteronomy, the word of God that he would have known so well that God told Israel, if you turn to idols, you turn away from me and you go to idols, I will make the heavens shut up and it will not rain. I believe he was just praying God's word. He went in there with that kind of confidence because he knew that that was God's promise to him. Praying earnestly is praying God's word. You're talking about the book of Proverbs. David Sindel talked last week about how he would just journal as he was reading the word. He didn't say it this way, but what he's saying is that is the best way to have a conversation with God is look at the word. What is it saying to me? When Jesus, it says, wrote in the ground in John chapter eight, it says he wrote it, they heard it. That's how the word of God works. So when Tracy teaches on Friday night to our women's group that, uh, that met, she's teaching God's word, but in God's word, when she says it, then God speaks to us individually it's almost without fail that I will say something on a Sunday, that I'll uh, preach a sermon, whatever, and at the end I'll get a, a text message or a, man, that was really awesome. When you said this about that, this is, and I'm thinking, I didn't say that. You guys that have been around and preached for long enough, you'll know that some of the best compliments for something you said is something you didn't mean. <laughs> like, but that's actually really good. I'm going to write that down. I'm going to use that. <laughs> Because that's how God works. And praying earnestly is literally just us praying God's word. And when you look at how Elijah prayed, just a few verses later in chapter 18, he is now staring down the prophets of Baal. 450 of them. And they're on this big mountain. And he's set up this contest that we're going to put this, uh, this sacrifice and we're going to call down fire. Now the prophets of Baal, they screamed and they hollered. 
and they cried and they wailed. I've been in prayer meetings like that, by the way. Um, but when Elijah steps up to the plate to pray, his prayer is like two sentences. And fire came down. It, 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 the most, the best, the most beautiful prayers are the kind of prayers, the most simple of prayers, is when I'm just praying, God, I'm just, this is what you said, and I'm just believing and I'm standing on it. Jesus, by the way, never got mad at somebody for praying too short. Notice that in the scripture. When we pray effectively, when we pray earnestly, it is us just agreeing with what the scripture says. But he also says effective fervent, which is a more passionate sense of prayer. Now, Elijah, on the other hand, we're going back to Elijah. On the one hand, he stands up there and he prays and he says something real simple and the fire comes down. But God also lets us look at Elijah, someone like us, in a time when the rain is supposed to come again. So the prophets of Baal have been destroyed and he's going to pray now and the rain is supposed to come back after three and a half years. And so he goes from his valley up to the back to Mount Carmel again. And he gets up and it says that he put his head between his knees And I was reminded of Smokey and the Bandit. You're only old enough to know this. Uh, You're going to think it's funny. Put your head between your legs and kiss your... Anyway, Uh, uh, but goodbye. Uh, But that's not what he was talking about. That's not the prayer. In fairness, I've been in Guatemala. That's not what he's talking about. This was a submission prayer. This was a prayer where he praise God, bring the rain, and he looks up and nothing happened. Have you had that one? And so he puts his heads back down again. God, please, let the rain. He looks up, he asks his servant. He can't even, he didn't have the courage to look himself. Asks his servant, would you look and see? Nothing. He prays it once, twice, three times, four, five, six. On the seventh time, he finally sees a cloud out in the distance. And the rain came. Why didn't God just do it on the first time? Is God, how many of you guys have a dog and you've taught him to speak? You know what I mean? The most annoying trick the dog can ever learn. Like, I want him to shut up. Don't teach him to do that. Uh, But we pray in a way that's like the blessing biscuit. Speak, Darren, speak. Good boy. Good boy, good boy. It's like I'm begging him. To, to answer my prayer. But I think, so, and I'm going to, actually, if you want to go to the book of Luke, we're going to take a detour. But I think when you look at the scripture, that is not at all the relationship that he wants with us. Not about us begging him for something, about being, it's about him being with us, us being with him in something. He could have made it happen on the first one. But God knew that there was a storm coming. Her name was Jezebel. And Elijah was about to be in the world hurt. He was going to find himself in a cave struggling with depression. And what he needed most wasn't for the rain. What he needed was time with the Father, to log time with the Father, to be with him. Your prayers, the fervent prayer, the please God, the praying, the fervent prayer isn't about you begging for something. It's about you being with him. In Luke chapter 11, he said, teach us to pray. The disciples said to Jesus, teach us to pray. Right? And what it, we saw was he, he teaches them a prayer that is actually just 65 words long. It's just a real simple prayer. But then he, he follows that up with this parable of a friend walking in the country. 
at night and who needed food. And this is him teaching about prayer to them. And he says, if you are home at night alone and you're, this friend is walking through and they need food, it's not like there's a 7-Eleven or nothing. They gotta find a way to get food or water. And if that person will knock on somebody's door enough, knock and knock and knock, eventually just because of the pure audacity, I think is the way the NIV travel, uh, translates it, he will eventually open the door and give him something to eat. Now for me... That's how I used to view prayer. If I just keep knocking, if I keep begging, then eventually he'll give in to me. He's holding out on me, but I'm trying to beg him. But look at this a little bit closer. He says, I'm going to teach you to pray. And he starts the prayer with, Father, hallowed be your name. This is the prayer that you pray. Hallowed be your name. And then he goes in in verse 5, suppose the friend and he's gonna give them the food. But then in verse seven, then the one inside, the father, answers to the friend, don't bother me, I'm locked in with my who? Children. With me in bed. And so he says, he talks about asking it will be given, but listen, the point is, if you view yourself as the friend standing on the outside, then your prayers will be, please God, please, 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 please but you're not, you're one of the children inside. The children inside were fine. They're gonna ask their daddy for some things he's gonna say yes and some things he's gonna say no, but the fact of the matter is, is they weren't begging him for anything, they were being with him. Teach us to pray, Father. When we don't pray, Tim Keller says it's not just us breaking some religious rule, it's us failing to recognize who God is. We're just, oh, I'm not recognizing that's actually who God is. It's not the last thing we do, it's the first thing we do because we are children inside with our Father. We are not some strange friend locked outside and I, can, I don't have time to go into it but if you go further and you look how he unpacks this next story with the unfair judge and the, he's not teaching us that that is how we are praying. It is the opposite of that. We are the children inside. We don't have an unfair judge. We don't have a distant father. We have a God of the universe that looks upon you and me and invites us into his home, to his heart. And so when we pray, it doesn't say the righteous prayer, the righteous man's effective and fervent prayer is answered much. It says it avails much. No is just as much of an answer as yes. But the fact of the matter is, is when we pray, when we be with the Father, he is doing things in us and around us that make a difference. It makes a dent in what's happening in this Genesis 3 world. Stand to your feet just for the sake of time. We'll pick up here where I, next week. But if you don't hear anything else on this Mother's Day, you are not a stranger on the outside begging for a scrap. You are not a dog trying to bark so that God will give you a blessing biscuit. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are a son. You are a daughter of the king. If you are trying to get to the president of a country, good luck, unless you're one of his children. And then you've got his cell phone number. You've got her cell phone number. You can get to the leader if you are one of the children. And that is who you are. Teach us to pray, Jesus. Not how to, but to pray. 
teach us that that's our first response, not our last response. Jesus says that my house will be called a house of prayer. This building is not his house. You and I are his house. We are to be called a house of prayer, recognizing who he is. Not praying, Tim Keller says, is not a sin against some religious rule. It's a sin against his glory. Not recognizing who he is. With that in mind, Heavenly Father, your name is holy. You are complete. You lack nothing that we need. We who are earthly fathers who are, don't know our way around, we still give good gifts to our kids. How much more will you, our Heavenly Father, give all who ask? Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory and the honor forever. We stand here today forgiving those who have sinned against us and ask for your forgiveness for those that we have sinned against. For the provision of our daily bread, we ask that you would give that to us today. It is in your name, Christ, that we can pray these things because of who you are is how who we are that we can pray those things, not as some beggar, but as a child. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.